Hey friend, are you struggling to find consistent paid speaking gigs? Do you want to know the exact six steps that you can take to find and book more paid speaking opportunities in 2024? Well, we want to make that easy for you. We've created a new free resource with the help of Dan Irvin, one of our highly successful speakers on our team. Dan has booked over $100,000 in paid speaking gigs in the last few years, and his six-step process is going to help you maximize your chances of getting booked and paid to speak in any industry. You're going to learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, and proposal emails and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps and we're going to send you this 18-page guide straight to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps and you're going to get that free guide. Hey, thanks for listening. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, friends? Graham Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab Podcast. Good to have you here with us today. Hope you are having a great day wherever you are in the world. Uh, we got a great guest for you today. We've got a great episode for you. This is a fun, uh, fun story about how someone got their start in the speaking industry uh, and in part got their start thanks to this podcast. This is a person that's speaking at some major events all over the world now, has a new book coming out we're going to talk about. Uh, but uh, said so listen to the podcast early on and made a big difference. So listen, that could be you. Why, 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 are, why are we not talking to you on this podcast, all right? So if you are listening to this, taking the action and seeing results, I want to hear from you. I want to talk to you. Now, before we get to today's guest, if you haven't already, you definitely need to pick up our new book. It's been out for a couple months now. The new book is The Successful Speaker, Five Steps for Booking Gigs, Getting Paid, Building Your Platform. We talk a little bit about it in today's interview, but uh, if you haven't already, definitely go pick that up on Amazon, wherever books are sold. Get your copy, implement, apply what the book says. All right, so today we're going to be talking with Michelle Poehler. Uh, Michelle is a, a very successful speaker, has a new book coming out called Hello Fears. Her Instagram is Hello Fear, so uh, she does a lot there. Make sure you follow her there. But she started with the project of doing a hundred, facing 100 fears in 100 days uh, with it culminating to do a TEDx talk. And so we talk about how that one TEDx talk led to where she is today. Uh, we also talk at the beginning here, she has a, uh, an accent and so we talk about what she does as, as a, to make that an advantage rather than a disadvantage. Talk about some of the different fears that she faced, how she's overcome those, and some of those that have become actually loves of what it is today. Uh, and then we talk about how she went from doing a TEDx talk to saying, I want to do more of this and what the steps were that she took to get to the point where she is as a uh, successful speaker. So lots of good stuff with Michelle. Let's jump right into this conversation with Michelle Poehler. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're having a great day. Today, we are joined by Miss Michelle Poehler. Michelle, you are down in sunny Miami. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing quite well myself. Now, I got to ask you something because uh, I don't actually know. Uh, you've got a bit of an accent. Where are you from originally? Oh, so I am originally from Caracas, Venezuela. Venezuela. Okay. So yep. having an accent... Do you find that to be an advantage or a disadvantage as a speaker? That's a, an interesting question. It started being a disadvantage. At least that's the way that I was perceiving it because I started comparing myself to other speakers. I live in the United States. I've been here for since 2007, so for a long time. Yeah. Um, and I, was, I felt that I was never going to sound like other speakers because of my accent and also because I don't know all the words and, you know, it's my right. second language. But now 
I, not now, but a few years ago, I started realizing that it is so important to highlight what makes us different as a way to tap into our most authentic selves. And if we want to be authentic speakers and, and stand out, then we have to um, like identify what are those things that make you different and embrace those. And definitely my accent is one thing that makes me different. So now I think it is an advantage. At least I want to perceive it that way. Is there anything that you have to do consciously when you're on stage to make sure that, um, that people can still clear, because, uh, because it's your second language, English is your second language. Is there anything you have to do to, to just make sure that the audience can still clearly understand what you're saying? Yes. So two things. The first one is I have to learn my script word by word, because I cannot be just making up a sentence as I go when I'm on stage. You know, right. the nerves kicks in. You don't want to, like, just me here talking to you, it's harder than if I would be doing it in Spanish. Yeah. So imagine on stage in front of thousands of people. So I realized that my best bet is just to stick to my script. And of course, I've been improving it throughout the years to the point that I'm so comfortable with it right now that I can just say, you know, with my eyes closed and thinking about something else, I can just have the same emotion and same energy as I'm delivering my speech um, because I know it so well. And then I started giving it in Spanish and I thought it was going to be easier. It's not because I don't know it by heart. So I have to mm. think a lot. I have to be very focused and engaged as I'm speaking. But I also... I, I, ha I feel the freedom to just add an, an extra story or, you know, say an extra joke, which right. I try not to do when I do it in English. So that's the first thing to have a script. And then the second one is to try to speak as clear as I can. So I try to pronounce every word because it would be horrible for me to be saying a message and people saying, what did you say? What was right, that right. word? You know, I don't want that to happen. So I'm very intentional with my pronunciation and my pace. Uh, you touched on this, but do you do a lot of Spanish-speaking uh, engagements? I don't. I do like maybe two, three, four a year, maybe. Yeah. I don't get hired to speak in Spanish in the U.S. Maybe once for like Univision or, you know, yeah. a Latin brand, but not not very much. And then whenever I travel, like last year we visited Spain and I have a lot of followers there. So they were expecting me to do a talk. So I did it in Spanish. And then at the end of the year, we visited Argentina and Chile because we have a big following in those two countries and yeah. we did two events. But other than that, not really. Are the, a lot of the events that you do, are they, or, or I guess some of the events you do, are they your own events that you're putting on and you're hosting or most of them you're being hired to go speak at, at someone else's stage? So I'm being hired to speak 100% of the time. Those few events that I mentioned, I created them myself just because I want to give back to my audience. Yeah. Um, and it's, to me, those are my favorite events. So after doing those, I was so excited because my book launches this year and I was like, oh, it's my opportunity to now start organizing those events for my community in the US because I'll be launching my book and now coronavirus hit. So right. not sure when those events will be happening, but I know I'll make them happen at some point. Right, right. All right. I want to go back in time. How did you, how did you first get into speaking? Are you someone that has always been interested in speaking? You said you grew up in Venezuela. Uh, kind of talk us through at what point speaking came into the picture for you. Well, so I had no idea speaking was a thing. For me, speaking was something that people with lots of experience or accomplishments do when they're invited 
to a conference. I had no idea that this was a career and people would get paid for it. So I never even considered it. It was not in my mind. And so when I moved to New York in 2014, yes, in 2014 to do a master's in branding, I did a project called 100 Days Without Fear, where I decided to face 100 fears in 100 days. So the assignment was to do a 100-day project. So you had to choose one thing to do for 100 days you know, consecutively. I was studying branding, so I thought I was going to do something branding-related. But as I was living in New York, I realized that my fears were holding me back in so many ways that I had to do something about it. So I committed to facing one fear a day for a hundred days. And so I always thought that doing a TEDx talk would be something fun and interesting. And so I put that as my 100th fear from the beginning. And then along the way, I felt embarrassed to have that there on my list because I was like, no, why would TEDx, you know, like consider me. So I took that out of my list because I felt like, no, that's dreaming too big. And then towards the middle of the project, when I was facing my fear number 40 or 42, the project went viral. So it was everywhere. And I was on CNN, CBS Sunday morning interviewing me, um, BuzzFeed, Forbes, it was all over. And then at that point, I was like, maybe TEDx will consider me because I went viral. Yeah. So I should just knock and see what they think. So um, I started reaching out to some TEDx organizers. Um, TEDx Houston was my, my main one because Brené Brown did TEDx mm -hmm. Houston. I was yeah. like, that sounds like a good event. And so the organizer came back to me and he's like, yep, Michelle, that sounds like a great idea. We want to have you on our stage to face your 100th fear. So that, that was very exciting. Um, it was going to be my first time ever speaking in public. And for me, it was just a one-time thing. I, I had no idea this could become something else. But at that event, after I spoke, I, after I gave my presentation, another speaker that probably you know, Jason Dorsey, you know him? Uh -huh. oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Jason Dorsey was speaking there. He was actually the closing speaker and he approached my husband and he's like, hey, your wife is really good. And, and I think that you guys can make a living out of speaking. And, and we're like, what do you mean? And he's like, you can charge X amount to start. That amount was more than what I was making in a month working in advertising, yeah. which was my job by then. And we were both like, what? And he's like, yep, I already, you know, I, I charge this much. I do this many events a month. We were doing the math and our head glowing. Right, right. It was crazy it really that conversation changed our life so after he told us exactly what to do he was so kind and he's like give me a call I want to help you out I want to tell you exactly what you need to do so um, a month from that day we had a call and he told me you need a demo reel you need a website you need to uh, develop a 45 minute keynote um, a description key points who's your audience you can have several kinds of audience and adapt your message of fear which is my topic to the different like college or corporate or women or whatever it is and so we just followed his instructions did exactly what he told us um four months later i was already speaking and charging what he told me to charge 
Wow. That's crazy. Very cool. Okay. I want to go back into this and dig into this a little bit. So you mentioned uh, you were in school, you were supposed to do this project. Uh, so it sounds like going the route of doing the hundred days without fear, fear was something that, that um, something like was, was really limiting you at the time. It was one of those things that limits a lot of people who may be interested in speaking, but also are kind of feeling the, you know, the fears and the doubts and the insecurities and worries of uh, some of the imposter syndrome of going like, who am I? Why should I be up there? Sounds like even at the early stage of the, of the project for you, thinking about a TEDx stage, that that was part of it as well. So anything that you would say to speakers who are, are going like, I, I want to be a speaker. I want to do this. I feel like I, I've got something to share, but it is some of those same doubts and fears that are, are, are holding you back. What would you say to them? Wow. So that's a hard question because it depends so much and it's so personal, but my story began with a TEDx talk. So that is one of my recommendations because TEDx it's it's not as maybe as relevant as it was maybe five years ago when I did, but it is still pretty relevant. And I think a TEDx talk um, can give you that space, like the platform to understand what is your message. Do a 20 minute talk, like 15, maybe to 20 minutes. Mine was 18 minutes. And then just use that. Doesn't mean that your TEDx is going to go viral. I mean, I think I was very lucky that my TEDx has, over I think 400,000 views which is a lot mm -hmm. um, I, I was not expecting that so I, it's not about the views it's about what you do with that material because if you want to showcase your skills and your message then TEDx is a great platform because they will do a beautiful recording of that and then you have that and you can use it just to promote yourself so that's that's one of my advices because that is the way I did it right. and I would do it again the same way. Right. If I you, you mentioned that uh, you, you do the talk and then Jason comes up and, and comments on it. And you said this is, that was the first time that you'd really done like a, a public speech. Yeah. Before that, I only did my thesis for school. I told yeah. you I was at school right before doing the TEDx. So this was a school project basically. And I graduated in July and I gave my TEDx in October. And that training for that thesis was what helped me deliver my my TEDx the way I did because they really prepared us. They, I learned so much. I never learned about public speaking before. So the professor for the thesis class, she was like, you can't look back at the screen. You can't say things like, as you can see, because they can see it. You don't right, need right. to say those things. You need to, you know, be careful with the words that you use. You want to use better words and not like you're just talking to a friend. I don't know. Like, um, I think I learned like the key pointers and then I made it my own, yeah. but it was enough for me to deliver a good TEDx and prepare for that. Yeah. Gotcha. So is there anything that else that you did in terms of the, like the practice, the preparation, the rehearsal? Uh, I'm wondering like for, for someone who's listening going like, okay, the, the reality is, is like one of the things we've talked about on this show is your best marketing is a great talk. And so that's exactly like what worked for you. And it was kind of that first domino that fell was that you showed up, you did a great job and it caught the attention of another professional speaker who's like, hey, you're actually really, really good. And so despite it being your first time, you still did an amazing job. So, uh, so practice, preparation, anything else that you did behind the scenes that led up to it being just like a really, really strong talk? 
I think that you have to think about the experience that you're giving the audience and try to, I I come from the branding world. Mm -hmm. So I was like, how can I brand an experience? How can I make it stand out? Because they'll be hearing people in the audience that day will be hearing a ton of different TEDx talks. So how can I make mine memorable? So it is, it goes back to what I was saying about your tapping into your most authentic self. And it's, because what a lot of speakers do, and not only speakers, it ha- this happens in every industry, is you Google how to do things. So how to do a TEDx talk, how to dress for a TEDx talk, how to, you know, all of these how-tos yeah. on Google are just going to cra- help you craft your presentation in a way that you will be one more. And my advice is to, instead of searching for these answers on the outside, try to search for the answers on the inside. Mm-hmm. Try to look to who you are, your essence, your trajectory, you know, your thought process, and then make this experience your own. So in my case, I am a graphic designer. I'm an art director. I'm a branding strategist. So I put all of those skills into my presentation. So if you go watch my TEDx, you will be uh, very engaged by the visuals, by the videos. I did this whole project that was on YouTube. So every single day I was not only facing my fears, I was recording high quality videos that I would post on YouTube every day. So I you, you know, used a lot of those. For example, I heard something like, you know, the best speakers don't need slides. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, I don't care. I am going to have as many slides as I need because I am a designer, you know, and my slides are going to be what helped me stand out. So don't believe everything you say and just try to stick to what other speakers are doing. I think it's important that we do what we feel is right for us and that represents who we are in the best way possible. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, I, you know, I personally, I don't use slides. Uh, last I knew, uh, Jason Dorsey doesn't use slides. Yep. Um, and, uh, but you coming from like an artistic branding graphic background, like it would be silly for you to not use slides, right? Because that's such a strength and such an advantage that you have. So it's so smart for you to lean into that. Now, before we dig into further of just your kind of your speaking journey, I got to ask about the, the 100 Days Without Fear uh, project, 100 different things that you did uh, can you can you give us some examples? What were some of the the things that you did? Uh, what was maybe some of the worst ones that you did? The worst ones in terms of scariest right. things. Wow! So I started doing things that I felt uncomfortable, but still comfortable trying. Right. So for example, I tried oysters as my fear number two, okay. um, which is something I avoided my entire life and hated, but still I tried them. And then I held a cat for the first time in my life for day day three and then they day 15 was about getting a brazilian wax so these are the things that people do on their day to day and i never did even driving at night is something that i always avoided so i tried it um and then after the project went viral i started hearing a lot of criticism people saying those are things i do on my day to day wait what do you mean those are your fears why is this girl on on the media you know she's just trying to get attention and i was like i it hurt a lot and also because i knew they were challenging me to go bigger and i took on that challenge so i after that after halfway through the project i started to face bigger fears um and i did something like like skydiving holding Mm. a tarantula quitting my job and even posing nude in front of a drawing class (laughs) 
all kinds of things. I had to get creative. I needed a hundred beers to face. (laughs) That's crazy. Are there any that you tried that at the time you're like, this is, you know, this is a a legit fear, but now you're like, actually it wasn't that bad. And I, uh, it's something, it's become something that you enjoy. Yeah. Some of them, for example, I did dancing in the middle of Times Square, like no one's watching. That was a really fun one that I was terrified. Um, you know, people, what are people going to think if they see me dancing? And I was the only one listening to the music. So it was very embarrassing. And then I enjoyed it so much that I don't care. I want to do that. You know, every time that I have a chance, just go dance in the middle of the street. I don't care. So, uh, that was a fun one. Public speaking is one that I of course kept yeah. doing over and over again it was even though it was terrifying um what else i brazilian wax i can <laughs> what else um but there were some even like trying trapeze that yeah. it was terrifying at the time i actually enjoyed it so if i had the chance i would do it again and even skydiving i would yeah. do again very cool. holding the tarantula i thought that was going to kill me and i actually enjoyed it so it's a matter of expectation sometimes you feel some you know the the fear the challenge is going to kill you or it's going to be the worst one and then it's not as bad as you think right so all right i want to go back to the tedx talk you get off stage uh you talk to jason afterwards um and jason actually uh, as a total small world side note here uh, Jason was instrumental for me when I got started, uh, probably 13 years ago or so. I went to a, a training thing. Um, he and another guy were doing and then, and met him and, and he, we stayed in touch over the years. He referred me several events early in my career. So, uh, shout out to Jason for helping us nice. both get going, uh, in the beginning. But, uh, so I'm curious then, you know, he pulls you aside and says, Hey, you did a really good job and you should consider doing more of this. And, you know, here's a quick nutshell and here's how much you can make. And, uh, it sounds like at the time though, this wasn't necessarily something that was on your radar. Um, and it had to be something more than just, he says, Hey, you can make some good money at this. Cause the reality is, is like, you can make good money doing a variety of different things. So was there something else that happened or something that took place, um, that like was the light bulb moment for your like, you know what? That went really, really well. And in addition to this being a, a, a possible career move I could do uh, or a thing I could do more of, um, is there anything else that happened that like just check the boxes for you? It's like, I, man, based on the experience I just had and what Jason told me, I really want to give this a shot. Yeah. So I went on stage before going on stage that day. I, I, I was so regretting being there because I was so nervous. And I was like, why, why did I do this to myself? Why, why was I celebrating when they accepted my, you know, like idea to do a TEDx? Uh, this is terrifying, you know? So I started feeling like, no, I'm doing the wrong thing. Why am I here? And, and I was so afraid. It was just my fear talking. And then after I went on stage, like after the, maybe the first two minutes, I started to enjoy that moment so much because I never had that experience and everything that I said had a reaction on the audience. So like I would say something that for me is, I don't know if it's good or not. I, I'm trying it out. It's the first time I'm saying yep. this sentence. And then I hear people in the audience say, oh, whoa. And I'm like, oh, they're, they're, it's resonating. And then <laughs> right, I right. say something that is funny that I thought it was funny for me, but I didn't know how people were going to react. And then everybody laughs and I'm like, whoa this is so cool it's so awesome to have an audience react to your words and by by the end i said my last line and people started standing up and clapping and and 
I was like, and that was, I think the first standing ovation in the entire day. And I was speaking at 2 PM. So there were already like 10 presentations yeah. before me and I, ha and I didn't see anything like that. So if I would have seen the same happen at every presentation, it would have been just like, Oh, okay, one more, but no. And so I was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. And it went by so fast when, when it was over, I'm like, that's it. It's over 18 minutes. No, I want to yeah. stay here in this stage. And that gave me the, you know, the, the sign that I need to do this more often, not only because I love it, but because of the impact I had on the people that day, because people came up to me later. I mean, I was, it's so funny because I went to open the door of the whole like theater just to find my seat and sit next to my parents again, because they came with me and my yeah. husband uh, and people started leaving the theater at that time. And I was holding the door. So <laughs> person by person walking by we're like that was so inspiring i'm going to start facing my fears people were crying hugging me taking pictures and i was like what is happening yeah so after that experience i was like i can't believe that i i can't i get to do this again and even get paid for that so i don't need to find another job do you think that you would have pursued speaking had Jason not said anything to you? Meaning that you could have got off stage and, and had the exact feeling you just described. That was amazing. I got good feedback, but I still didn't realize that this was a thing until I had almost this third party person um, from the industry kind of validate and say, actually, that was really good. And you should consider this. Do you think you would have pursued it otherwise? Maybe because I've heard stories from other speakers that like, for example, Ja Zhang, you know him, right? Which John? There's a lot of Johns. No, ja, like Jia, like J Oh, yeah, 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 yes. Yeah. So he, he did a similar project where he did a hundred rejections. He did a yeah. TEDx and he told me, because we had a, a phone conversation, he told me that after his TEDx, people started calling him and hiring him to speak. So maybe without Jason in the picture, if that would have happened, that yeah. would have been nice. But also I would have been very lost because I would have not know how much to charge. Probably I would have charged like, uh, you know, so much less than what Jason told me. I would have even done it for free, I think, by that point. So yeah. it was really good to have that guidance and, and do this with intention and not because it just happened to me. Right. Gotcha. So Jason gives you some, some good advice. Hey, here's your next steps. Uh, but at the same time, like there's plenty of people who are told, all right, here's what you need to, you know, like every episode we do on the podcast, we tell people, all right, here's your next steps. Here's what you need to do. Or, you know, uh, within, you know, our book or your book, like we walk through, here's what, here's what you need to do. Well, there's a difference between like someone saying, here's your next steps and someone then actually doing and following through on those things. So, uh, what caused you to say, all right, I'm going to actually do this. Like I know this is, I know what the next steps are, but it still requires work. It still requires effort. It's so much like, as you all know, it's so much more than just, all right, I did a TEDx talk and it went well. And now I just sit back and I wait for the phone to ring. Like there's still a lot of things that you have to do to get the ball in motion. So uh, what caused you at that point to say, all right, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to buckle down and I'm, I'm going to do the work to make this happen. I wanted it. I think so much like yeah. more than anything to happen. So what I did is I started making lists of people that I know that worked at companies, whoever worked at a company. I'm like, and, and so I started to call them uh, people from school, from college, from my community, from Venezuela, but that live in the United States. And I made a list of maybe a hundred people and I'm like, okay, this person I know 
they work for Bayer. Let me, let me call them. So I call this girl and I'm like, Hey, uh, do you sometimes do events? And she's like, I can help you set up an event here in Bayer. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. And you know, for half of my fee and I'm like, okay, I'll do it. You know, as long as we can record it and have some footage for that. And then I call my friend that works at Google and she organized an event. That was, that was completely free. I, so I didn't charge for that, but that was actually the first event that I did. And it was at Google. And then Google from that point started hiring me and took me to their different offices. So I did like three or four more events with Google because of that. And just like that, I just started calling. I, I called my cousin. I'm like, do you know someone at Netflix? Because I really want that logo on my website. And he's like, yeah, I actually know someone that works at Netflix. So it's all about using your network your contacts you know reaching out not being afraid of putting yourself out there telling people what you need and asking for help that's exactly what i did and that's how i got the ball rolling because then people started recommending me um and and it, it went on from there and also what i did is we um, contacted bureaus we contacted the first bureau that we researched online um adam and that that's also one thing that it was very helpful to have my husband on board so he didn't quit his job like i did so i was without a job but he still had his job in finance yeah. um but he started helping me and he was basically working full-time on this and full-time on his job so we were working crazy hours right. to get this started together so he was the one calling bureaus and clients and negotiating on my behalf have and that was really comforting to know that someone else is supporting me and believes in this as much as I do and so we were working on it together and he what I was going to say and he also started to read a lot and and you know like for example he started listening to your podcast back then oh cool I don't know how he found out about it but he was like this is amazing and he was listening to all of the episodes and he's like Michelle you should be listening to this <laughs> but I was too busy working on the presentation and learning it and, and doing the graphics and all of it so he was listening he was like Grant says you have to do this and he had a guest talking about that he started implementing all of the things that he was hearing from your podcast he also read the book um, a wealthy speaker 2.0 yeah which was super helpful. Yeah. Um, and, and then that's how it all started, just reaching out and, and working so hard, long hours on this. Yeah, I love I love so many things that you mentioned there. You know, the uh, the support of your husband. I think that that's incredibly important. That uh, yes, he's helping in the business, but even you know, if he wasn't doing anything in the business other than just being a cheerleader of saying, "Hey, I believe in you. I support you. You can do this." You know, uh, having that support from uh, uh, from that that spouse or significant other makes a huge, huge difference. And the other thing that you did is, is again, it, it's not that you, you know, did a Ted talk and you just sat back and waited or that you just, you know, posted on Facebook. Hey, I'm a speaker. If anyone needs anything, let me know. But like specific one-to-one -one outreach and ask like, Hey, you work at Google. Do you know of any opportunities that may make sense for me to speak there? Or, Hey, do you, you know, reach out to friends? Hey, do you know anybody at, at Netflix that would be a con? Oh, actually I do. You know, those type of things. Uh, so really just doing some work that is non-glamorous, it's non-sexy, but it works and it's effective. It just it still just requires work and it requires effort. So much work. And then one of the best things that we did is I was researching Brene Brown and and I went to her contact page and it says, you know, if you want to hire Brene for speaking, reach out to this person. And her name was Michelle. And I was like, that's a sign. Her name is Michelle. <laughs> I'm Michelle. So I asked Adam, I'm like, Adam, you should 
reach out to this Michelle, tell her about us, tell her about me, send her my TEDx, because that's the only thing I had at the beginning. I was just yeah. sharing my TED talk with everybody, like that video, and that's it. I didn't have an actual demo reel. And so Adam reached out to her. She watched my TEDx. They had a phone conversation, and she told Adam, you need to quit your job. You need to support Michelle full-time, work on this, because Michelle's going to make it real big in this industry if you wow. work really hard. And then she started referring me some business and now we're working full time with them together. Wow. That's really, really cool. You, you mentioned that you, you know, you reached out to, you know, some agencies, some bureaus, that sort of thing. Uh, it's possible to make some of those, uh, I, I think a danger for some speakers is they, they see the value of a bureau or they see the value of an agency and they reach out too soon before you're really ready and before you really have some pieces to, together. Uh, did you ever find that you, that that was the case that, Hey, I, you know, I just, I have one TEDx talk. It went well. Maybe I've done a couple other things since then, but I'm reaching out to some bureaus and I'm, but I'm really like hindsight. I, I, maybe I wasn't ready. Did you find the timing uh, difficult to get right? In terms of, in terms of like when you reached out to bureaus? Well, I think that the virality aspect of my project was helpful because yeah. it makes people pay attention a little bit more. I was already on the media. I had a large following on YouTube by that point because that's where all my project was happening. So I have over maybe 20 or 30,000 people on YouTube. So that also helps. It's not like I came out of nowhere like, hey, I just did this static talk and I right. think I want to be a speaker. No. So the things I had... Um, under my wing were the TEDx, the virality, a hundred day project, a lot of following, you know, on YouTube. And I already spoke at Google before, I think it was before reaching out to, to the bureaus. And, and so I had like maybe two videos. It was the, the TEDx. I think I also had three videos because I did, you know, creative mornings. Uh-huh. Yep. Well, that's another great platform. Um, they have this event by the end of the year called Audience Takes the Stage, where mm -hmm. they open it up for people in the audience to submit um, what they want to talk about according to a theme. And so I did that. My TEDx was in October of 2015. And in December was Audience Takes the Stage at Creative Mornings. I submitted a proposal. They accepted it. So I did a seven-minute talk there. I put it together with a TEDx. And that's what get got me started very cool very cool michelle this has uh, been really fascinating cool uh i want to also hear about the new book which uh at the time that people will be listening to this is out everywhere hello fears tell us about the book yeah so my book my new book i i have so high expectations of this because i put all of my soul into this book i have all of my stories there um, how I started as a speaker, you know, how I became the, the person I am today is right there. And it's very motivational in terms of anybody that has a dream. This will give you the motivation, the tools, the everything that you need, the, the right mindset. I, I think that's all you need, the right mindset to pursue your dream. Whatever dream you have, it's about prioritizing that and taking action. And this is a very actionable book. I think it's, I call it like the courage Bible. It's pretty heavy and big and, and colorful because everything that I do is very colorful. I'm a graphic designer, like I was saying. So uh, yeah. it's a fun book, lots of exercises, uh, lots of stories. And yeah, so please go to hellofearsbook.com to find out more about it or my Instagram, hellofears. 
Awesome. HelloFearsBook.com. We'll be sure and link up to that. Michelle, if people want to find out more about you and what you're up to in addition to the book, where else can we go? Hello Fears on Instagram. That's where I am. And if you want to learn more about me as a speaker, then michellepoller.com uh, to find my demo, past clients, about my, you know, talk, all of that. We need a, we need a, and the TEDx talk is on the michellepoller.com, right? Um, I'm not sure if it's there. Maybe just Google Michelle Poller TEDx talk and you'll have a lot of fun watching that. <laughs> we'll track it down. Good. Michelle, thanks for the time. We appreciate it. Thank you. This was awesome. Thank you. <laughs> All right. There you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Michelle Poehler. Again, I'd encourage you to check out her her new book, Hello Fears. You can get that uh, wherever books are sold and on Amazon. While you're there on Amazon, again, don't forget to pick up The Successful Speaker, Five Steps for Booking Gigs, Getting Paid, and Building Your Platform. Hey, uh, thanks for hanging out with us today. We appreciate it. And uh, we'll catch you next time. You're awesome. <laughs>